Since this is the, uh, the week that we will all be celebrating Thanksgiving, let me say to you, as many already have, I'd like to wish you and your family a very happy Thanksgiving. Today, we are gonna take a break from our current series and talk about Thanksgiving. And next Sunday, we will have one more message from our series called I Promise. And then beginning on December 3rd, we will begin our series of Christmas messages. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm having a hard time believing that Thanksgiving has rolled around so quickly. And soon we will be celebrating Christmas. And I have to tell you, there's a, there's a real memory in my mind. I remember last Christmas Eve. I love our Christmas Eve service. It's a beautiful service. And when it was all done, I remember going, another year is over. And, and it seemed like that was yesterday that, that I said that to myself. And here we are moving right into the Christmas season. And you know what? Depending on your perspective, this can be a, a blessed time of the year or it can be a very stressful time of the year. You can either find peace and joy during this holiday season or you can allow it to increase your levels of stress. And sadly, I think many people fall into that latter category. I was looking at an aerosol can at my house the other day and I couldn't miss the warning label that very clearly said, warning, contents under pressure. And I thought to myself, that's a label that should be attached to a whole lot of people that I meet today because truthfully, I have never seen more stressed out people in my life than I see right now. Of course, there are a lot of reasons for that. There's a well-known resource out there called the Holmes Stress Scale, and this scale lists the 100 most stressful events that you can have in life, like death of a loved one, like a divorce, a bankruptcy, a foreclosure on a home, among many other things. Well, the people who developed this scale after much research, discovered that the single most stressful time of the year is the period between Thanksgiving and New Year's. Because what happens is you start to worry about shopping, you start to worry about parties, you start to worry if you're gonna have enough time to pull everything together and make good on all the commitments that you've made. You worry about buying gifts and the financial ramifications of those gifts, while some of you are already worrying about the relatives you're gonna to have to spend time with. Am I right? So during the holidays, stress levels go up significantly. Someone once said, it is the season to be uptight. I mean, just try navigating finding a parking spot at Costco up in Reading closer to Christmas. Nothing destroys the Christmas spirit more than trying to secure a parking place when grown-ups are acting like children. And if that's not bad enough, when you leave there, you put your hands in the lives of people who don't know the first thing about driving in a roundabout up there in Reading. Have you ever been there? I swear I've almost been killed five times in that roundabout. Not because I did anything wrong, because the person on the inside lane thinks you can cut across the cars that are going. Have you, has that happened to you? It's crazy. You talk about stress. But I digress. You have to share these things. They just come to me. Christmas is a month away. Today and this week, we are gonna celebrate Thanksgiving. So my question of the day for you is this, how do you maintain a thankful heart during stressful times? When you've had a rough year, when things aren't going your way, when you've lost your job, when business is sluggish, 
when you've been diagnosed with an illness, when you've lost a loved one? How do you stay thankful during times like these? Listen, I know some of you have had a very tough year because you've had conversations with me and in some cases, you don't see this next year getting any better for you. And now we're entering into a holiday season that that has a way of adding a bit more stress to our lives. So how do we stay thankful through it all? Well, I'm thankful that the scriptures give us some insight into this matter. So I'd like you to turn your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Philippians chapter four, which is where we're gonna spend our time this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew pocket in front of you. Of course, the uh, scriptures will all be up on the screen and you can follow along with us. Philippians chapter four, I'll be reading from the New King James Version this morning. Philippians four, verse four, the apostle Paul begins with this statement. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Another translation says, may you always be joyful in the life in the Lord, in your life in the Lord. Is that possible? Is it possible to always be joyful no matter what the circumstance? Well, the apostle Paul insists that it is. In fact, the Greek word for the Lord's Supper or what we call communion, which by the way, we will be participating in later on in this service is the word Eucharist or Eucharistos which by the way means I receive with thanksgiving. So if you'll drop down just a few more verses in Philippians four to verses six and seven, Paul offers us a strategy. And it is a strategy for surviving seasonal stress while maintaining a heart of thanksgiving. And I'd like to suggest that you write these words down, type them up, print them on your printer and stick it on your refrigerator for the next 45 days to help you to make it through this time. Here's what Paul writes, beginning with verse six. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Then he continues in verses eight and nine. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do and the God of peace will be with you. In this passage, the Apostle Paul offers us four keys to surviving stress. They're very simple for us to say, and yet they're a whole lot more difficult to apply. Number one, worry about nothing. Step number two, pray about everything. Step number three, thank God in all things. And step number four, think about the right kind of things. So let's look at the first one. Worry about nothing. The first part of verse six says, be anxious for nothing. In other words, don't fret, don't have anxiety. Now I know that's easier said than done. It's real easy to say it, but as soon as you're done saying it, you start worrying about something. There was an online article 
from the Smithsonian Institute magazine that said we live in the golden age of anxiety. We not only have micro worries, those are your very own personal worries, but now we, have, we are confronted with macro worries, the worries of the world. It's no wonder people are so uptight. We get instantaneous feeds and news on every bad thing that ever goes on in the world. You get up in the morning to the sound of an alarm clock that right off the bat puts you in a negative mood. It's not called a comfort clock, it's called an alarm clock because it's alarming, right? To get you out of bed. And then the first thing you do is you turn on Bad Morning America and now you're being confronted with every negative story in the news cycle that's been going on all week long and it weighs you down. So then you decide to sit down and have your bowl of Wheaties and while you're doing that, you you open up your iPad or pot or desktop or whatever and you begin to surf the internet and of course you're getting more great news. No wonder you are stressed out by the time you get to work. But this scripture says you worry about nothing. Speaking of worry, I want to share with you some facts about worry that come from a study done by Dr. Walter Calvert. Here's what he discovered. 40% of your worries never happen. So there's 40% of them that you don't even have to worry about. So out of your list of 10 worries, pick out four of them, throw them out the window because they don't count. 30% of your worries concern the past. Listen, you can worry about the past all you want, but it's not gonna change it. The past is the past, it's over and done. And it's not going to control the future either, no matter how much you worry about it. All worry does is mess you up today. So if you're doing the math, you can't control the past and you can't control the future, which is 30% of your worries, and since 40% of your worries aren't going to happen anyway, then get this, that means 70% of your worries are worthless. The study went on to indicate that 12% of your worries are needless health concerns, and 10% of your worries are insignificant and petty issues, while only 8% of worries are actual legitimate concerns. So here's what I'd like to suggest to you this morning. Take those 8% of your legitimate worries and pick a time to worry about them once a day. You decide to yourself, I'm going to worry between 4 and 4.15 every afternoon. We will call it your DWT, your designated worry time. So when a worry comes into your mind during the day, you simply say, no, this is not time to worry. That's not until my DW time at 4 to 4.15 today. You bundle them all up, you bunch them together during one period so it doesn't ruin your whole day. You see, worrying doesn't change anything. Someone aptly called worry stewing without doing. And another thing, there is no such thing as born worriers, as much as you would like to put that label on yourself. Because worry is a learned response. You've learned it from your parents, you've learned it from your peers, you learn it from experience. But the good news about that is, is since worry is a learned trait, that means it can also be unlearned. So how do you unlearn it? Notice what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 34. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. 
Jesus is saying to us, folks, don't open your umbrella until it starts raining. We do that all the time. Don't worry about tomorrow. Today is the tomorrow you worried about yesterday. So don't do that. The key to reducing stress in your life is to live one day at a time. Don't worry about tomorrow. Just focus on today. Now, you might find it very interesting that when Paul wrote these words that we have been reading this morning, he wrote them from a prison in Rome. The man is in a dungeon, and he's saying, don't worry about anything. But have you ever noticed when God tells us not to do something, he always follows up with a do this instead. Anytime he eliminates something from your life, he adds something in. And that is the second step. Pray about everything. Look at the second half of verse six. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And you might say, well, I don't have time to pray, Pastor David. Well, let me just say, if you would utilize the time that you spend worrying with prayer, you would find plenty of time to pray. And if you prayed as much as you worried, you'd have a whole lot less to worry about. In fact, you wouldn't even need to add prayer time to your schedule. And remember, folks, prayer should always be our first response, not our last resort. I think I told you a story one time. I was talking about something big and, and I'm carrying on and on. And Lisa goes, well, let's pray. And I'm going, well, I'm not done telling you about the whole thing. And it was, just, it was just like a kick in the head. It was like, yeah, pastor man, you're supposed to be praying. The very first thing you do. My wife has to remind me that I got to pray about this situation instead of rambling on and, and, and letting it tear me up. Paul says, in everything, not just in some things, you can pray about everything. A lot of people think all God cares about is your Christian relationship. How many people you talk to about Jesus or how many people you invite to church or, or your giving or your serving. And certainly God does care about those things. But let me ask you, is God interested in your bills and obligations? Yes, you better believe he is. Is he interested when you have the flu or when you have an outbreak of the shingles? Yes, he's interested in every detail of your life. Listen to the Phillips translation of verse six. Tell God every detail of your needs in earnest and thankful prayer. God is concerned about the big things just as much as he is concerned about the small things. Or, or I should have said that in reverse. He knows every detail of your life. He has the hairs on your head numbered. The God who made every thumbprint and every voice print and every snowflake totally unique he knows, he, believe me when I tell you that he has no problem handling the details of your and my life. There is nothing, folks, that you cannot pray about. If it's worth worrying about, guess what? It is worth praying about. There is nothing insignificant to God. You can pray about anything and everything. It's called making our petitions known to God. What does petition mean? A petition is a specific, detailed, and direct prayer. You know, a lot of people pray in very vague ways. Things like, God bless me, and that's, that's good. God's blessings are, are always incredible. But sometimes, you need to be specific. Make your petitions known. And the Bible says you can pray about any detail of your life. In 1 Peter 5, 7, 
It says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Another translation says, cast all your cares on him for he cares for you. And yet another translation uses the words, unload your anxieties on him. You have to learn to unload your problems instead of worrying about them because they will destroy you if you will allow them to. You see, prayer is a tremendous release valve for the Christian. So a great way to handle your stress is to turn it over to the Lord to to, to release it into God's very capable hands. I love the word in Greek, unload. It means literally to just drop it. You don't toss it, you don't throw it, or heave it 15 feet, because often it's the kind of load that is so stinking heavy anyway, you couldn't hoist it up if you had, if you could, or if you had to. So you just let it go. That's what God says you do with your worries. That's why often I'll tell you, come down to the altar, lay your burden at the altar, and don't pick it up and walk back to your seat with it. Drum, dump it there. It's yours, God. I'm leaving it with you and walk out of here getting that load off of your back. Amen. Unload them. Learn to unload your stress through prayer. Peter says, unload all your wearies, worries, excuse me, since he cares for you. Here's something you might find interesting. Major life insurance companies have done studies and they have discovered a very interesting truth. Those who attend church every week will live on average 5.7 years longer than the people who don't attend church every week. Isn't that pretty fascinating? Why is that? I I can probably think of a variety of reasons, but my number one guess is this. People who go to church, they unload on the Lord. They decompress. They let God carry their worries for them. Because here's the truth. If you don't talk it out with God You'll take it out on yourself. It's it's the truth of us human beings. When you just swallow your worries, your stomach will keep score. So you gotta let it go. You've gotta unload it. James chapter four, verse two in the NIV says, you do not have because you do not ask God. Just ask God to help you with those worries, those problems, those daily stresses. Here's the insight. No problem is too big or too small for the Lord to handle. Paul says, if you want to relieve stress, here's what you do. Worry about nothing and pray about everything. Simple, but it's something that we have to be reminded of over and over and over again. Well, here's step three. Thank God in everything. Go back to verse six again. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. The Good News Version says, always asking him with a thankful heart. So whenever you pray, we should always pray with thanksgiving. You see, church, I believe that the healthiest human emotion is gratitude. In fact, it actually increases your immunities. It makes you more resistant to stress and less susceptible to illness. It's the healthiest emotion. People often call it the attitude of gratitude. People who are grateful are simply happier people. But people who are ungrateful, they can just be miserable sometimes because nothing makes them happy. They're not satisfied, it's never good enough. So if you cultivate an attitude of gratitude, 
of being thankful in everything, it reduces the stress levels in your life. There used to be an old song that we sang when I was a kid at church, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. That's a good place to to start. Make a list, be thankful, and trust God to take care of those needs for you. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That word in is the most important word in this entire text because it helps you from misinterpreting the verse. It does not say there, give thanks for every circumstance. The Bible says, give thanks in all circumstances. Someone deliberately cuts a hole in your tire. Do you say, thank you, Lord? Somebody assaults you in a parking lot. Do you say, praise the Lord? No, you you don't have to give thanks for evil in the world. If someone I love was murdered, I would not be thankful. When one country battles against another country, I'm bothered by that. I'm not thankful for that either. The Bible does not say be thankful for evil. It says in all circumstances, give thanks, not for every circumstance. What's the difference? Well, even out of the bad, God can bring the good. You know that. You've lived long enough to see that happen in your life. In every circumstance, no matter how bad it is, you can still give thanks to God. Why? Well, let me give you three good reasons. Number one, God has a purpose that is bigger than the problem. Number two, God will give you the power to overcome that problem. And number three, you will grow through the experience if you will allow it. A lot of people ask me, well, how do I know what God's will is for my life? Pastor Dave, it's right there. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In fact, if you are not experiencing an attitude of gratitude, you're out of God's will according to that scripture. But, how, but you may say, well, how can, I, how can I be grateful with all that I've lost? How can I be thankful in this situation? Well, instead of looking at what you've lost, you gotta start to focus on what you still have left. Because what you have left is tremendous. It's a a large amount. You still have God. You still have family. You have friends. You're still alive. Life is precious. So you must always look at what you have left. I think the, the point is this. Don't take anything for granted. Your mind, your health, your freedom, your relationships. Gratitude is a great stress reliever because it gets your eyes off of the problem and it puts your focus on the positive things that are going on in your life. Here's step number four. I must think about the right things. Look at verse eight. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. If you want to reduce the levels of stress in your life, you've got to change the way that you think. It's a proven fact that none of us uses our brain to its fullest potential. You've probably noticed that about me. I'm talking about the potential that God has given us. And furthermore, Whatever you put into your brain is what's going to come out. 
It's like that computer term that they coined many, many decades ago. Garbage in, garbage out. Guy go. Whatever you feed into your mind or whatever you dwell on is what is going to come out in your life. The way you think determines the way you feel. And the way you feel determines your actions, the way that you act. So Paul says, if you want to change your life, you need to change what you're thinking about. If you're reading articles more than you are reading the word of God, if you're constantly watching TV shows that glorify unhealthy, sinful living and a disregard for common human decency, that is not good, folks. The Bible says to think about things that are true and noble and right and lovely and admirable. Does that describe the typical movie that you watch today? Not a chance. Most movies are the exact opposite of that. He says, fill your mind with good things. And I gotta say that I, I, I worry about kids today who spend hours on end playing these most violent Xbox and other computer games. They spend literally hours blowing people away with guns and weaponry, blood, blood splashing everywhere. And then we wonder why violence in schools is so high when it is clear it's been made clear not only from the word of God, but it's even been made clear in science that whatever you take in is what creates your actions. So to fix your mind is a deliberate, conscious choice to change the channel, to choose to begin to think about the right kinds of things. Focus on what is positive and on God's word because the root cause of stress is the way you choose to think. Why is it that you can take two people, put them in the exact same situation, and one of them falls apart and one of them handles it by taking it in stride? Obviously the problem is not the circumstance, but the problem is the response to the circumstance. It's how you're viewing it. It's your perspective. It's how you're interpreting life. And equally as important and even more so is who do you trust? Well, all those things are a choice that you have to make because how you're choosing to look at your problems that you are going through is the source of much of the stress that you're experiencing. Your problem is not your problem. Your problem is how you are choosing to respond to the problem that's the problem. You gotta think about it in the right way. Proverbs 23, seven says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. So what do you think about most? What is it that dominates your thought life? Please understand, whatever you think about the most is what you're becoming because you will always move toward what you're focusing on. If you wanna become like Christ, then you must think about him and fill your mind and your spirit with the word of God and his goodness to you, and you will begin to become more like him. It's called Christ-likeness, and that should be the goal of every follower of Jesus. Amen. And so what is the result in doing all of these things? Worry about nothing, pray about everything, thank God in all things and keep your mind focused on the right things. We'll look at verse seven. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. His peace will keep your thoughts and your heart quiet and at rest 
as you trust in Jesus. What a guarantee. He is guaranteeing you peace of mind. Have you noticed that, that, that that's what everybody seems to be looking for? Peace of mind. Sadly, they're, they're always looking in the wrong places. It's amazing the things that people will attempt in order to find peace it's through yoga and crystals and therapy and diets and books and seminars and, and podcasts. They run from one thing to the next looking for peace of mind when the Bible said God's peace is a gift to you. It can't be explained. It cannot be duplicated. It can't be fabricated. It's a gift. So how do I get the kind of peace of mind that, that keeps my heart peaceful when I'm under pressure? I'm talking about a peace that, that keeps me calm, even during crisis moments, a peace that gives me strength in the middle of a storm, that helps me to be thankful during difficult times. How do I get that kind of peace? Well, the key is the last phrase in that verse, in Christ Jesus. It's a relationship. And in a minute, we're gonna take communion together. And communion is for those who are in a relationship with Jesus, who put their faith and their trust in him. And if you haven't done that yet, I will give you an opportunity today to do so, to open your heart and to say, Jesus, come in. Give me that peace of mind that comes when I know that I am at the center of your will. Look at verse seven again. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Another translation reads this way. His peace will keep your thoughts. You know the word keep is derived from the same word describing a type of a fortified tower that was built within castles back in the Middle Ages. It was the strongest fortification of the castle. It was a place where they went when they were under siege or under attack. Well, the scriptures say that when I trust God, he guards my heart, he protects me, he protects my mind, he keeps me at peace when everything that's going on wants to make sure that I am totally stressed out and on edge. That's the way you do it. So what's got you worried this morning? Is it your health? Is it your finances? Is it your relationships? Is it the many things that you know you've got to accomplish in the next several weeks? Is it a marriage problem? Is it your kids? Is it a lack of a job? If you'll take these steps and you will allow Jesus to become the keeper of your mind and the center of your life, you will find a peace that you cannot even imagine. It's a peace, as the Bible says, that passes all understanding. That's what a relationship with Jesus can do for you. But it not only brings you peace in this life, it also brings you eternal life in God's presence when your time on this earth is done. But I have to say one other thing. After telling you all morning not to worry about anything, there is one thing that everyone should give serious consideration to, and that is whether or not you are in a right relationship with Jesus. Have you accepted Jesus' free gift of salvation? Because if you haven't, that is more than worrisome, folks. That is terrifying. 
not knowing for sure what happens to you if and when you die, that is the most serious business of all. Because if there's one thing that we all know for sure is is that life is fragile. And the Bible tells us that tomorrow is promised to no one. Oh, I'm 20 years old and fit, fine shape. I'm the best fit, shape of my life. It doesn't matter. You don't know when life is going to end for you. None of us do. So, so legitimately, that is something to worry about. And yet the answer to, to, for removing that worry, the answer to, to getting rid of that stressful fear is just a prayer away. And in a moment, I'm going to give everyone in this place an opportunity to pray so that you can leave here knowing that things are right between you and God, therefore removing any worry or concern over that once and for all. I'd like to ask Scott and the band to come forward. I'd also like to ask for the ushers to come forward and hand out the communion emblems, and then we will take communion together. As I've been talking this morning about not worrying and in all things having a heart, of thanksgiving, I'm reminded of the one thing that we have to be most thankful for, and that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He came to this earth in a most unusual way, and he lived among us, and he lived a sinless life, and he showed us the love of our Heavenly Father, and he came on a mission, and that mission was to save that which was lost. He came to save mankind from sin, to pave the way for you and I to have a personal relationship with God the Creator. Jesus, the sinless Son of God, He died an excruciating death on the cross. And through His shed blood, our sin was atoned for, meaning He he paid the price for our sin. He paid the punishment that should have been ours. He loved us so much that He was willing to suffer and to die for you and I. But the good news is he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he arose with resurrection power. And now that same resurrection power is available to us. This is the greatest gift of all, that out of all the things that we have to be thankful for, this by far is the most important one. In fact, Jesus told us, he said, I want you to always remember what I did for you on the cross and that's why we participate in the lord's supper or what we often call around here communion we remember jesus and we remember what he did and we do so with hearts of thanksgiving we eat the bread we are reminded of his broken body and when we drink the juice we are reminded of the blood that poured from his body and it was shed for us and we don't just remember as i said we remember with thankful hearts. And since this is Thanksgiving week, that's why I postponed communion until today, because there's not a better time for us to receive this with a thankful heart than on the Sunday before the holiday where we are thankful, we reminded that we are a thankful people. So as we prepare our hearts this morning for communion, I think it's very important to first of all say we should never do this as some kind of a routine, as some kind of a ritual. Instead, communion should always be a time where we get transparent with God, 
when we get, we, we remember the things that he has done for us. And when I say uh, get transparent, I mean that we must make sure that our hearts are right before the Lord in light of this sacred moment. It's also important to know that the Bible gives us some very specific things about how we are to do this. It's found in 1 Corinthians 11, 27 and 29. It says, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. At this time, this is where, as the word says, each one of us must examine ourselves. Are we carrying with us any unconfessed sin? Are we harboring hatred or unforgiveness towards someone else? Are you carrying around an attitude that is contrary to what God would require of you this morning? Is your heart in alignment with the things of God or are you, are you in rebellion against what God is trying to do and accomplish in your life? Most importantly, are you saved? Have you received that free gift of salvation that only Jesus provides? If not, now is the time to make it right. Now is the time to confess this before God. Now is the time to ask Jesus into your heart as so not to participate in this sacred moment, as the scriptures say, in an unworthy manner. So before we take communion together, we're gonna to have a moment of silent prayer. All you're gonna hear is what you hear now, the music playing softly behind me. And during this time, I want everyone in this place to prepare your heart to enter into communion by praying to God in your very own way and in your very own words. Believe me, Jesus reads your heart. You don't have to say all the right things. He reads your heart, but speak, speak what you need to speak to the Lord. Tell Jesus, if you're not saved, that you believe in him. You believe that he came and he died for you on that cross and that he is the only way to God the Father. Tell him you believe that he died, but he also rose again so that you could have a new kind of a life and ask him to forgive you of your sin. And when you do that, Jesus will save you. The Bible says that he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness and you will become a new creation. And furthermore, I would even pray, God, reveal yourself to me today in a new and, 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 and an exciting and in a fresh and in a powerful way. And let's do this together with a heart of thanksgiving. Let's bow our heads and have a time of silent prayer and meditation before the Lord. Father, you've heard our words and more importantly, you've read our hearts. We thank you today for Jesus. We thank you that we can be reconciled to you through what Christ did on the cross. And I wanna thank you, Lord, for those here today who did not know you, but have prayed a prayer of confession and faith to you and now have been cleansed and are now in the family of God. And so I ask you, Lord, to bless these communion emblems we're about to receive and help us to always maintain a heart of thanksgiving, not just before you, but before others as our Christian testimony. 
And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In Luke chapter 22, it tells about Jesus' last supper with his disciples during Passover. Verse 14 says, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and he said, this, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As you eat of the bread this morning, I want you to be reminded of the bruised and battered body of the Lord and that by his stripes, you are healed. You may eat the bread. Verse 20 says, in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And as you drink the juice this morning, I want you to be reminded of the precious blood of Jesus that was shed to atone for your and my sin. You may drink of the juice. I'd like to ask you to stand as we sing. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ His Son. Give thanks, give thanks with a grateful heart. He's given Jesus Christ, His Son. And now let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. Because of what the Lord has done. again give thanks give thanks with a grateful heart yes Lord we give you thanks to the Holy One give thanks because he's given Jesus Christ in this place Lord we give thanks the grateful heart. 
because he's given Jesus Christ his Son. And now let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. Because of decided to follow Jesus today, I want to welcome you to the family of God. You've made the best decision of your life. And we as a church would like to come alongside of you and help you in your Christian journey. We hope you'll come and you'll be a regular part of this church family. We have, uh, we have classes uh, for dis discipleship classes every Sunday morning prior to this service. You can actually go on for three or four years through these classes if you like, but the first one is called First Steps. We'll help you understand the Christian faith, the basic tenets of our faith, and uh, it will help you to grow and, and be strong as a follower of Jesus Christ. You'll receive encouragement. You'll receive instruction with regards to how to grow in your faith, and uh, we want to be a part of that. So you can jump into that class at any time. It's a rotating class. It's, it's 13 weeks. doesn't matter when you start. You'll go through 13 weeks, and when you're done... We present a, a study Bible to you with your name on it so you can continue to, to find your way in the Word of God. I'd like to thank everybody uh, for being with us today. Again, I, I want to wish you all a very, very happy Thanksgiving this week. As we leave here, I want us to, to really focus on applying truth from God's Word to our lives. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. Be thankful in all things and always think about the right things. Please bow your heads as we close in prayer. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you have direction and instruction in, in every area of our life when we're struggling in one area. And Lord, I know that stress and fear and worry and concerns run rampant in our hearts and our minds as human beings. Father, I pray that as for this body of believers, we would learn to keep our eyes focused upon you, to not listen to the voices out there that are not the truth, but to listen to the voice of truth, and that is you. I pray, Lord, that you would protect our minds from the fears and the worries that we have. Help us to think on the right things. Pray, Father, that we would give ourselves a diet of the Word of God and the things of God and not so much of the things of this world that tend to only increase our stress. Most importantly, I pray that every one of us will be able to enjoy these upcoming uh, 45 days or so of celebration of Thanksgiving and Christmas, the arrival of the Christ child, and we would do so with stress-free hearts, remembering and being thankful for your goodness towards us. So God, as we go our separate ways today, I pray that your spirit would guide and direct our past, the things we do, the places we go, 
the conversations that we have, that those conversations would be designed to build people up and not to tear them down. And Lord, that we would shine like bright lights in a very dark world. And that would be the love of God shining through us. And it would be so bright that people would come up and say to you, to us, what is it about you that's different? And then we share your goodness with them. And Father, I pray until we gather together again next week as a church family, that you would keep us safe from accidents that might befall us, keep us safe from sickness and disease so that we can all come together again as one family and worship you in spirit and in truth. And Father, as we go from this place today, my prayer is that we would go in love and we would exhibit the kind of love that you had for your fellow man, and we will do the same for our fellow men. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for the presence of your spirit in our lives and in this place. And we give all praise and honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here.